Morning Show. Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Brent, 1,680 days ago. Do you remember where you were? No. Okay. I can tell you where you were. Oh, okay. Mm, maybe. You were watching the Toronto Raptors complete their first championship in franchise history, Game mm. Six. I know the establishment. I could picture it now. <laughs> Over the Golden State Warriors, I saw I'm a dude s- with a saxophone out the window of a car just driving around. <laughs> it's always going to be my Raptors championship memory. I just I, didn't I, know what to do. I was in this very building. Oh, maybe working. not in this exact seat, but like shortly thereafter, I recorded a, a podcast with with JD Bunkus in this exact same seat. So. Yeah, I, I, you, I have who, strong memories. I, who's to say you even left? Maybe you've just been sitting in that seat the entire time going, please trade Siakam, please. I've been here a lot since. You uh, have. Actually, wasn't I with you on, were you with us walking down Young Street after the championship? No, because okay. I exited an establishment uh, with my bud, shout out Rich. I was on Dundas uh, somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, the the lucky bar I've not been back to since because you got to save that one for right. something that matters and I guess nothing's mattered. <laughs> nothing's mattered since. Might be a, might be a, a bit of time until yeah. it matters again for the Toronto Raptors. Anyways, uh, in that game, Pascal Siakam, 10 of 17, 26 points, tied for a team high with Kyle Lowry, who also had 26 as the Raptors win 114-110 uh, over the Golden State Warriors. I mean, Chris Boucher still on this Slim team. Duck. His two-way contract was converted during that season, but he didn't play in the finals. Other than Chris Boucher, they're all gone. Mm-hmm. Yep. Everything's, it's all, the, the decks have been entirely cleared mm-hmm. from the 2019 championship team, which was just five years ago as Pascal Siakam traded to the Indiana Pacers for Bruce Brown, Jordan Nuora, two 2024 first round picks, which we'll get into, and a 2026 first round pick, which is top four protected. They also get Kira Lewis from the Pelicans. Um, Nuara and Lewis are guys that were outside of the rotation for a good team. So unlikely to crack mm-hmm. the rotation here in Toronto, but who knows? Maybe, maybe there's something. Um, it's in the end of an era today. Yeah, this is it. I mean, there's a million ways you can look at it. This is the end of the Pascal Siakam trade saga. That is definitely the, the most kind of, you know, micro thing we, we look at, but if you want to go macro, yeah, it's, it's the end of a championship run, uh, the end of a championship era. You go beyond that. And, you know, part of this is the way the eras of Raptors basketball have kind of been woven together and they've had important moments. Even, you know, DeRozan and Lowry had a ton of important moments and then Kyle Lowry was here and they won a championship. And then guess what? You know, some of those guys went away, but you still had bubble, the bubble moment where OG makes his shot. This was the last chance to kind of connect that to what's coming next, and it ultimately could never come. Masai Ujiri tried a million times. Some of it was just through <laughs> praying and hoping and thinking things would get better. Some of it was through swings and misses, like, in my opinion, the Jakob Pertle trade. But this is now a clean cut, an exodus from that into whatever the Scotty Barnes era of Raptors oh. basketball becomes. And you can talk about the the swings and misses and the Pertle one specifically and maybe a missed opportunity, and we'll get to all that, but, boy... I was also thinking about how fortuitous it was. Not that the pandemic happened, okay? Mm. <laughs> but the thing, Only I hey, say that. Hey, remember when the Raptors spent a season playing their home games in Tampa I and do. lost all of them mm-hmm. and then managed to tank their way into the fourth overall selection and then maybe got the best player out of that draft? The guy who, yep. you know, their current head coach says is not going to be uh, is going to be the, the face of the league. Boy, thank goodness that happened. Mm-hmm. Or where would we be today? Anyways, okay. So the the return and trade, a headline item 
Raptors received three first-round picks for Pascal Siakam, mm-hmm. who is a pending, unrestricted free agent, who is, I mean, the, the reason he's not re-signed in Toronto, going to be asking for the moon, wants mm-hmm. a max extension wherever he goes, and wasn't going to re-sign with, with just anybody. Yep. He had all the leverage. There's a guy who is a two-time All-Star, former second-team All-NBA player, Three first-round picks. Again, two of those Mm -hmm. upcoming in a draft that are, well, one, they're going to be at the back end of the first round, Mm -hmm. and two, in a draft that the Raptors already told you after finishing Mm 41-41 and a season ago, and at the time, I guess, assuming they were going to bring back Fred Van Vliet, but understanding that the possibility exists that he he would depart for nothing, said that, you know what? Even if we give up the seventh overall selection in the 2024 draft, no big deal, because that draft stinks. Now you have... You got a bunch of picks. You might have three Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the upcoming 2024 draft. Bruce Brown, who's, okay, shorter than OG Ananobi, and he's not the defender that OG Ananobi is, and he's not the three-point shooter that OG Ananobi is. He is a champion from Mm -hmm. a season ago, um, and he's he's now got an exorbitant contract. He's under uh, contract for one more year. It's a team option at at north of 20 million bucks for next Mm -hmm. season. But he's he's a contributor, and he was a rotation piece on uh, a Pacers team that's been pretty good this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Pascal Siakam who was a starter on a championship team, like not it not a contender. Mm-hmm. Like he was a key cog to a team that won a championship and in the clinching game of mm-hmm. the finals, tied for the team high in points. It, your your reaction to the return? Well, the return shouldn't be. Unfortunately, because of the way the Raptors played this thing out, here's the headline item. It's not what is the return. It's Pascal Siakam leaves for a return. We spent a lot of time complaining about the big old nothing, zilch, zero that they got for Fred Van Vliet. And yeah, okay, Precious Achua. I feel like people thought maybe Kyle Lowry was going to turn into more than that. And hey, he was part of the OG trade now, so maybe we feel slightly differently about that at the time. But because of the way they slow played this thing, because of the time that they took and the many time or swings that they had to make this deal and then you wait till the end this is what happens I look at it as a positive in the sense that they got something but how can you look at this and say that this is the best deal they could have got at any other point in in the calendar that they were looking to do this and I don't mean this year I'm talking going back to last year or the draft this summer a million different points where they could have had this so I look at it as yes I'm happy that they were able to get a return I think and we'll talk about this a lot more as the show goes on today just the idea of moving on from him and again I don't mean to state that like this is some Draymond Green he's assaulting his teammates mm-hmm. or he's a cancer in the room or he's disliked but Again, different era, different timeline, different core. I feel like you needed to move on. So I think they very much, and I think you saw it last night, benefit from that and they get that out of it. But the idea of a return, two picks in a draft that apparently nobody likes, although we're already doing the spin zone on that. I saw Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer on with Faisal last night after the game, and we're already hearing the, this draft isn't good for high end players. Right. But oh, if you have a bunch of if you have a bunch sure. of uh, darts you could throw at the board and you get your oh, yeah. I don't know, have the Raptors ever taken a guy in like 23 to 28th range and it's worked right. out okay? Oh yeah, and you can talk about your Jokic and Giannis is being drafted in not so great drafts and at the tail end. Okay. I'm just talking about finding like an OG something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just that. No, only uh yeah, defensive player of the year contender year on year out uh who's makes his threes at an above average yeah, rate. No, that's, that's fine. Yeah. 
okay, maybe. This this trade is embarrassing. It's it's frankly embarrassing. And yeah, you you can again you can get the headline item of three first round picks, and you can say, boy, for a guy that might not resign in Indiana, here's the thing: the Pacers aren't making this deal unless they're pretty certain that yeah, they're going to be able resigning. to resign Pascal Siakam. Why the Kings didn't make this deal? Because all indications were the Pascal's like thanks, but no thanks. I don't know what's so so great about Indiana compared to Northern California and Sacramento. I, I have to Lake Tahoe, apparently. I, I like, have to be honest. If yeah. you just told me, gave me no ifs, ands, or buts around it, just said, hey, an NBA player would rather live in Indiana than Sacramento, I'd be very surprised by that. Yeah. I'd be surprised if you told me I wanted to live in I Indiana mean, for obviously, Sacramento. Indiana has an incredible basketball history. Yes. I've, I've just, I, I, and I want to make fun of it. I've never been like I, uh, the home of David Letterman okay. is one of the Funny first things that comes to mind. But yeah, okay. Now, apparently more willing to re-up in Indiana than in Sacramento. Uh, and yeah, three first round picks. You're like, again, like that that does jump off the page, you know? And all the permutations of OG Ananobi trades last season, uh, you know, we heard five first round picks. Now it was clear, and, and the OG Ananobi trade accomplished this, that... Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster were more intent on getting, you know, younger mm, uh, players who could actually, you know, play this year and next year and grow with Scotty Barnes, right? As opposed to, yep. to p- potentials that are like, we're talking about a 2026 first round pick, which is, okay, so that that's relevant in what, 2027, 2028? When we're talking about... Well, if you take the player. Right, and those are trade assets, right? I suppose, but you, know, you got to send salary out the other way if you're attaching a pick to some anyways like a brown who yeah. makes 20 million change sure and no doubt there's an element to that as well that this is not a finished product right yep. and there's other pieces to be moved and gary trent is a pending free agent so maybe he's out the door but that's a separate trade yeah it's embarrassing it's embarrassing this is pascal siakam could very easily change the fortunes to such a degree that the Pacers look like one of the biggest winners in recent trade history in the NBA. And they gave up nothing. They gave up Bruce Brown. Like, congratulations. Like, Raptors, you, you, you like, for a team that struggled defensively since the trade uh, of OG Ananobi to the New York Knicks, you, you got somebody who hangs his hat on, mm-hmm. on the defensive end of, of the court. So that's, that's good. That's yep. helpful. But again, a guy that could be out. The, uh, out the door uh, before the trade deadline or beyond that, maybe this offseason. The Indiana Pacers got a, okay, he's not a lead dog on a championship team, but they already have that. They have that in Tyrese Halliburton. He's not the... the well, I mean, we'll see. Yeah, but that's what... It's a great I mean, building piece to have, but, but the Pacers go, would, go show me. Yeah, but they, uh, no doubt. I mean, this guy led his team to the finals of the in-season tournament. How well, dare you? I just, I, I, sorry, I don't want to completely derail your point. I just remember when the Cavs made their Donovan Mitchell trade, and it was mm. like, oh, watch out, new beast of the East have arrived. We've just been through this movie a million times where it's like smaller, and you know, I know Halliburton's taller than Mitchell there, but it's like smaller guard who's not really done mm-hmm. anything before. It's like, watch out, he will be the one yeah. to lead this team to the promised land. But okay. the Pacers... They're, they're not bringing Pascal Siakam in to be the face of their franchise. They already have that, right? Like, mm-hmm. they, they, yeah, sure. he's he's going to be Tyrese Halliburton's running mate. It's going to be a, a one-two punch there. Yep. And and he's going to be a supporting cast member to a team that they expect to be, you know, now in the echelon of the Bostons and the Phillies and the Miamis of the Eastern Conference. And that very well might happen. It might not. Totally. But, like, history would suggest that Pascal Siakins was a pretty proven player, even in the postseason. The Raptors got maybe nothing. Like, the Raptors might have gotten 
from this trade, nothing, right? Like, here's what we can say about the OG Ananobi trade. They mm-hmm. got something. Yep. There is no doubt they got something. Is it all going to work out with R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly? Maybe not. I mean, pretty good indication that those are nice mm-hmm. little building blocks going forward. Again, and OG Ananobi, also a player who could pick his own spot at the conclusion of this season uh, as a free agent yep. with a, an opt-out of a, a, a player option. But, yeah, we understand the relationship between the agent and the front office of the New York Knicks. That's not, not likely to happen. They got something for OG Ananobi. May have just traded one of the best players in franchise history for nothing. Like maybe, maybe something, but the possibility exists. They just traded him for nothing. So I guess it's, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I guess it's all just in the way you frame things. And wow, look at me being the happy, positive guy for once. But yeah, we can, we can sit here and have the exact same conversation we have had about Pascal Siakam for the better part of 18 months saying, why didn't you trade him then? Why didn't you trade him then? And I'm happy to do that because I think that if you're looking at the trade package, you have to start there. But I also look at it as this is clearly to me and, you know, we'll get to your interesting theory about uh, everybody having to put their trades into like a central Mm. registry so we can all know about this one day. But this to me feels like what have we heard about Ujiri in the Raptors front office? They're stubborn. They have their price. They're like uh, Willie Nylander's agent. They just stay what they want. They will not move off it. There's no discussion to be had. Feels to me like their price was Benedict Matherin. They were looking at it going, I would like that guy. Please? Mm-hmm. Yes, please. Andrew mm-hmm. Nemhart. Okay. He's not Matherin. We'll mm-hmm. take him as well. No? Still no. <laughs> yeah. We'll try again. Still, It's still no for either of those guys and eventually just capitulated to take what was on the table. Now, you maybe the argument Ujiri would make is, I've been asking for Matherin for two and a half years or whatever, they, or, you know, two years, a year and a half, whatever it's been. Mm. But to me, this is clearly a sign that an organization or a front office, one, either learned from their mistake of Fred Van Vliet, or two, said we can get more for Siakam than we could have got for Van Vliet. And even if it is not the way we want to go about it or the assets we want, assets are better than nothing and gumming up the works for the rest of our season. So I am I am with you on everything mm. you say about what would this trade have looked like if you made it at the time mm-hmm. we all said? You know, yeah. us geniuses said you should have made it. No, you're right. Fair there's an, conversation. There's an assumption there. Yeah. No doubt. There's an assumption there. But I'm making it too. I'm just, I just think that I've had that conversation so many times. I'm trying to look past it to... Do you like? Do you agree with me? Does this sound like? Does because that's my read on this is that they pretty clearly had an ass that was pretty similar to mm-hmm. what they got out of New York, and the mm-hmm. Pacers said, "Yeah, but we're not New York. We're not going to do that deal." Mm-hmm. And then they capitulated and moved off. And at least that's my my read on how this kind of all played out. Yeah, this season it certainly yeah. feels that way. And you know, I I, <laughs> I love the 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 quote from an unnamed Western Conference executive from Michael Grange's piece in Sportsline.ca. Uh, quote: I think. Parenthetically, Raptors president Masai Ujiri, in parentheses, was in a tough spot. He was worried that if he waited, the offers might get worse. That's not not where you want to be. I mean, yeah, if he thinks they're going to get worse in season for Pascal Siakam, how much worse have they gotten year over year? That's the thing. Yeah, it's. I think maybe it's not. And feel free at 1 o'clock today, Masai Ujiri will address the assembled masses in Toronto and talk about this trade. Uh, feel free to, to to set us all straight and say the thing that you did say at the conclusion of last year, uh, uh, last year's season in your end of season media availability is that, yeah, trades that we saw at the deadline last year, we're pretty confident we can get that again. Like if, if we decide to pivot later on, feel free to tell us, yeah, I was right because this was on the table at last year's deadline. My guess, 
that wasn't the case. But my guess that there was at least one piece that you could have sold yourself on as being part of a building core around, well, at the time it was only Scotty Barnes, but yeah, combined with the OG Ananobi trade, like you, you got a three-headed monster yep. that's nice there of Quickly and Barrett and Barnes. You throw another young 20, early 20-somethings mm-hmm. piece in there. Now you, now you got a team. I, I think... Mm-hmm. Uh, given the benefit of hindsight mm-hmm. and an extra year of team control and, you know, the ability to to, to grow with a, a young team. Yeah. If you had traded Pascal Siakam at last year's deadline, you could have gotten more than three first-round picks, two of which are in a draft that is universally viewed as very, very weak. In, in fact, you, you view it as weak because you traded a pick away, not knowing how good you'd be this season. Yeah, there. I mean, you, you definitely frame it that way, and I, you know, it's, it'll be interesting what we hear from Ujiri. Regardless, I mean, obviously, if he had some great deal on the on the table a year ago, he's not going to come forward and say, "Ah, here's what I turned down, guys. Look at look at how foolish I I am." And I I actually think, and I don't know. I'll I'll just ask you this. I'll give my opinion, and I'll ask you: Is does it say anything about the, his plans that we're hearing from him today? This is a guy who, after the season ended, what was it? I uh, don't think it was last year. Maybe it was two years ago. But my timeline's getting all screwed up here, where he just didn't didn't talk for something approaching two, three weeks mm-hmm. after the season ended. He There's does no- that often, though, at the conclusion of seasons, because he wants to like he wants a cooling off period right. where he's not like fire everybody. Well, which which I do kind of like about him. Yeah. Like I do like that he cannot go because guess what? Like I am trouble yeah. going in well, public. He's a after. fan. Like yeah. he is. Yeah, he's a passionate sports person. That yeah, in the moment is. Freaking out at, at Dwayne Casey for not understanding that you can inbound the Why ball in the backcourt. So big. That's, yeah. That was the other thing he was freaking out yeah. about. But the 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 reason I asked that is, does it say anything about the immediate future here that he is speaking today? Like I could have. I think we all have already envisioned the world where mm, do you attach one of those picks to Gary Trent Jr. or to Brown, and then is all of a sudden that's you're getting a two three year commitment from a player on maybe similar money and that's how you expand this thing mm. does it say anything to you at all about how he views this or what the kind of intermediate plan is that he's talking today as a top five player in franchise history you just trade him away no you yeah. gotta speak okay that's no, that's that I, tends to be where i fall on it but i had that thought last night yeah so he's gonna speak today and no doubt there will be questions asked about the relationship between masai ujiri and pascal siakam who departs on uns- like unceremoniously they if, if you get traded or you leave a franchise where you've made uh, incredible bones and, and been part of a championship. It's it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to, like, how do, you, how do you, unless you're, like, retiring at the conclusion yep. of the championship season and then joining the front office as, like, a, an ambassador. Like, <laughs> save for that. Like it's, it very rarely writing ends well. John. Stop writing that John Tavares fanfic <laughs> for me, then. <laughs> okay. But yeah, Kyle Lowry, kind of awkward Tampa tank season. We thought he waved goodbye to the fine folks of Tampa against the Nuggets. They didn't trade him then. It was a sign and trade for Goran Dragic. He didn't yep. want to be here and Precious Achua. And okay, that was kind of awkward. Fred Van Vliet, you know, we thought the possibility existed that he would re-sign in Toronto and then the Rockets gave him the bag and it was kind of hard to fault mm-hmm. him in that regard. Yeah, zero fault for me. OG Ananobi um, also traded in season to yep. the New York Knicks, but everybody, I mean, it just felt like such a win-win that it was mm-hmm. not that awkward. Is this the most awkward? Uh, Vince. 
You know, okay, but I'm talking about the from the championship oh, era, okay, right? of the championship era. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you know, there was the stuff with Ibaka of could you have brought him back and Gasol, there was something there. I mean, Kawhi, he was always such a mercenary. Sure. You don't even think about it. Yeah, this had to be. I mean, this one's awkward. Damar was like the saddest. It's like, yeah. oh, you're going to die for our sins. Sorry, Damar. Yeah. Have fun in San Antonio. I yeah. hope you get some great pop stories. Uh, and, and, not, and you know, he's just become uh, – it didn't even seem like it was possible at the time, but somehow a more beloved figure in franchise history, it almost feels like since he's left. So yeah, of the, of the championship guys, this one feels the most awkward, but I also think that, you know, Masai can play nice in the press today and Pascal Siakam will say all the right things. And then it kind of moves on. It's going to be nothing but love when he comes back. The, the thing I actually thought about it is, does he have the chance to be the most, universally cheered for like immediately former rap because Van Vliet, he's a rocket. You don't think about them at all. Sorry, Houston, but you're, you are what you are as a team. Like no one's sitting here having visions of a rockets run where you're, you know, pulling for, for Van Vliet. Lowry goes to a heat team. That's good. And you're still in that. Are we good? Can we win? So you're not in full blown. Yeah. Go win another one. Kyle mode, you know, DeMar DeRozan and gets traded for Kawhi. And again, it's like, he doesn't exist. He goes to the Spurs and then he's a bull and it's, you know, his career just, almost ceases to exist, but Pascal is going to go to an Eastern conference contender where there's no bad blood against, you know, this isn't him going to the Celtics or Mm -hmm. the heat or the Sixers with Nick nurse Raptors fans kind of hate all those teams. And maybe every Raptors fan doesn't hate every single one of those teams, but I feel like they hate at least two of the three. The Pacers almost get a chance to be the good guys in the Eastern conference. Now that's the interesting thing to me is, is he has a chance to kind of have the most, the happiest, rosiest, immediate post-Raptors story here. And I want to be clear. Like, I don't think this ends with the Pacers. I'd be kind of surprised they make a conference final, let alone a, an NBA final or win anything. But so I don't think it ends, you know, super rosy for him there. But I think it has the chance to be the kind of best outlook immediately for any of those guys we just talked about. Yeah, this is well, yeah, increasingly becoming a season for the Raptors where, like, boy, there is an impetus to win, but it's going to be hard. Because, like I said, there's no trade that you get better by trading Pascal Siagam that I saw. I perhaps didn't see it being this stark. Um, but, yeah, no, this is this is not a, a matchup against the Pacers upcoming, by the way, on uh, Valentine's Day. That you're like, oh, Raptors got to win this, this game to, you know, prove that they won the trade. Like, no, nope. Pacers are better. Yep. And they're, they're acquiring a win-now piece. And you're giving one up because you're not in win now mode and and yeah he'll be lauded he'll be cheered it'll be a great moment at at Scotiabank Arena uh I think all those guys uh to various degrees are beloved when they return to Toronto we'll we'll hear from uh, again Masai at one o'clock today and you're right like everyone's no one's gonna one divulge the specifics Mm -hmm. of the last couple of years and the relationships between the executive and the player um it is interesting, though. Part of what makes this separation, this divorce, feel awkward is the position Masai Ujiri put Pascal Siakam in. Like, and I'm not necessarily talking about not giving him the extension he so desired because that's a basketball move. Yeah. And that's like clearly he's not the only guy in the like NBA right. that <laughs> wouldn't have signed Pascal Siakam to the max he so desired. It's it's kind of why like the, the, the trade return has kind of been... the way it does. Yeah, it's a little tepid, but... The selfishness thing, mm-hmm. right? And it, he didn't specifically specifically say Pascal Siakam is who I'm talking about here, but mm-hmm. we all put the pieces together and understood 
the contractual situation of uh, multiple different people mm-hmm. and the face of the organization being that individual person. I think that's part of the story here, that Pascal Siakam departs still as a beloved figure. And what an incredible success story going from the tw- uh, 27th overall selection to a two-time All-Star and a second-team All-NBA player. And again, a guy that scored the most points on a team that closed out a finals game on the road in Golden State. Mm-hmm. It's all incredible. For the last two years, he's been the face of selfishness for this Raptors team. Does that impact your view of the player? No, I think I think that he was always a guy who was going to be miscast. The, it's such an unfair thing to say, and I, but I've said it a million times, so what's, what's one more hurt? He's always a guy that the higher cast he is in the die on a good team, the worse that team is. Like, I love him as a player and what he can give you. You know, we all saw the clip going around yesterday of uh, the last of his his two points in that Warriors game where he gets around Draymond and it's a little, you know, floater at the cup. That's what he's excellent at doing. But guess what? He's able to do that when there's other great players around him. When it's just him and he's the tip of the spear, we've seen how that goes. So I don't look at it as selfish. I look at it as a guy who was put in that position and asked to do something that he was not necessarily capable of doing. But when you're asked to do that, how are you not going to look around and say, okay, full max, please? Well, how can you not? So I, I... I don't, I don't kill him for being selfish. I also think, you know, again, like there's Leafs parallels. We do this all the time, but it's, gee, how dare someone at the top of the organization call out a star player that they maybe feel like isn't pulling the, on the rope in the right direction. Mm-hmm. We cannot have it both ways where we're dying for it for one franchise and upset about it from another. So I, is it, does it cloud it up a little? Did it make things a little awkward this year? For sure. I'm not going to try to paper over that, but that's, what it takes to be a winning org. I've sat here for three days talking about the greatest thing that ever happened in sports. Devon Taves saying his teammates are no good. I love when we get that kind of stuff. So I can't sit here and kill you, Jerry, for it. Did make it awkward for sure. But I think it's one of those things that it's like, you know, we're both married, Ben. It's like every day hasn't been the greatest, most love filled. Oh, I won't speak, speak for, for you. yourself. I won't speak for speak you. Speak for yourself. You know what I mean, though? It's like there are good no. days. There are some bad. All good. All good. Okay. Again, I'll speak for myself. <laughs> And Ben, but what, but you understand what I'm saying here that it's in the moment. This feels like a very big thing. It seems like the final end. It's an exclamation point. And I think as it goes on to history, it becomes like uh, what's it called when you do like the dot 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 the three dots of like just carry on this thought. Uh, you know what I'm talking ellipses. about. There it is. That was the word I was thinking of. I just it's couldn't get there. An ellipsis. Um, well, Raptors weren't very selfish yesterday. Mm-mm. <laughs> Thirty-four assists on forty-five. Made field goals. I mean, yeah, we were 27 minutes into the show before we talk about the one Toronto team that played yesterday, and it was a beatdown of the defending Eastern Conference champs. But Who you can understand. Cares? I mean, it was amazing. And, like, if you think the Raptors can sustain 53% three-point shooting the rest of the season, yeah, I, this I, is... Uh, I don't. I don't. You, you think Gary Trent Jr. is going to go 8-9 from three, come uh, do, one three shy of his uh, career high and threes made in a game? I do think they were due after the game before. Like, mm-hmm. nobody, I mean, again, Leafs and Raps. I hate it when the Leafs say it. I'll allow it more when the Raps say it, but even I hate it then. It is a make-or-miss league. Sometimes the shots just aren't falling. Well, Sometimes they are. It was more than that yesterday. Like, I'm not saying no, it's no. just that, but... You no, make your shots and look what happens. I view three-point shooting very much in the same vein as goaltending in the NHL. It's like, yeah, you, you want to have it, and, like, you can do a better job of, like, you can give yourself a better percentage chance of having it. See where you're going with this. But sometimes you just have it, yeah. and sometimes you don't, right? And, like, 
you know, over the longer sample, you can make a, a greater assessment of where you are in that regard. But like, yeah, even the the the, the blindest squirrel is going to shoot fifty three percent from three, and the Raptors haven't been blind. Uh, from they haven't been the blind squirrel since the trade. They've been much better shooting the three. And Gary Trent Jr., this is a, a guy that's, a, yeah, a big part of his game is shooting the three. And congrats to the Raptors who handed the Miami Heat, a storied franchise in the NBA, their largest halftime deficit in franchise history yesterday. Incredible. And it was some nervous moments for a team that was up 30-plus points at halftime in the second half, but whatever. They, they end up closing it out by more than 20. Um, yeah, there must have been a sense of relief. Not like that everybody didn't love Pascal Siakam, but yeah, as much as this was hanging over Pascal Siakam's head and the conversations and the rumors Mm -hmm. and every day having to answer questions about it, no doubt that was weighing on the players. And, you know, clearly Scotty Barnes feels empowered Mm -hmm. by this organization. It was only a couple of days ago that his head coach called him the future face of the league, Mm -hmm. but it's still very difficult to to truly feel like it's your team when the the guy that again scored the most points on a team that won a championship in a closeout game is is on the roster. He's gone. I I, I don't. Maybe it's just a one game bump. Mm-hmm. But it was hard for me not to connect the dots there. That this is a team that truly now must must feel like at least some level of relief after the the Pascal Siakam trade. No, I am going to say that I think Pascal Siakam was holding Grady Dick back. <laughs> yeah. No, not not actually, but I mean. It's nice to see your your first round lottery pick do things in an NBA game, and you know we're all going to sit there and focus on the two threes. You made a great play in transition to get it, get the ball up quickly to RJ for for a bucket, couple of steals, couple of steals. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that is proof of concept that you remove him and all of a sudden everybody breathes easy. The Scotty Barnes thing is going to be the thing to watch here. I don't expect it to affect his play one way or another, and you know I'm not going to sit here and tell you I body language doctors. Scotty Barnes post-game pressers all the time, but obviously it was a big point of of topic after the game last night, and he was asked about the conversations he had had with Pascal about being the lead guy on this team now, and you know he talked about it in a he talked about it openly that those were conversations they had had, and you know it's not easy, it's a little awkward. I don't know how you can't kind of breathe a little bit easier there, but the second he gets to exhale, he also has to realize that all eyeballs are firmly on him now. There's no big brother on this team to come in and take to the mic. I mean, yeah, Dennis Schroeder's a vet and he can do it. And you have other guys on this team, you know, RJ Barrett. It's like, he's a, he's one of these good young vet kind of guys, but this is Scotty Barnes team. And it has been for a better part of 18 months now, but it is firmly his team in, in name and in practice. And that's the stuff I'm curious to see is how much, and you know, it might be nothing. But how much does the weight of that, whatever that is, mm-hmm. mean to a young player like that? Well, yeah. Um, that that will be interesting to watch. It also was obviously a great note that Grady Dick got back into the rotation, not in garbage time either. Mm-mm. I mean, garbage time. Well, unless you want to call like, first half of garbage mm-hmm. time when you're up 30 plus points. I allow it. <laughs> if you want to call it that. <laughs> Maybe. But, yeah, the, the Raptors like factually kind of need to win basketball games the rest of the season. But this is... We understand that this is not the finished product. This is a developmental year. So, yeah, Grady Dick better be part of the rotation here going forward, even if he doesn't go two of two from beyond the arc. We need to see Grady Dick the rest of the season. That could also be – it could play a a big-time factor in in the continued 
rejuvenation or return to form for the perception of the front office here. If like great, like part of this was like, oh, you missed on the trade deadline yep. last year on OG and Pascal and Fred. Oh, and also your first round pick, like can't play and like can't hit threes in yep. the G League. And there's other guys that were selected around <laughs> him that are impacting teams. If okay, we get further away from that, and you know that oh, you can you can see the path forward for Grady Dick. I think that would be very helpful for Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster. Yeah, it would be. And, you know, maybe it's twofold, right? Maybe that comes with a Gary Trent Jr. trade and all of a sudden there's one more kind of spot open for him and and then you, you know, you nail to whatever extent you can nail a Gary Trent Jr. trade. It, they just need to start stacking up wins. You know, they got a big, big one in selecting Scotty Barnes fourth overall and we all did the Jalen Suggs talk and, okay, Good job. Like scoreboard. They you guys get, did. I said Scotty Barnes was my guy from day one. Okay. I definitely did a lot of Jalen Suggs played quarterback and he's a leader of men takes. <laughs> I definitely did a lot of a lot of that. Uh, but, you know, that's a massive win. They get to point scoreboard on that. But since then, they didn't really get to point scoreboard to anything. We were wondering if they even got to point it with the coach that they hired. There were certainly times and we will continue to wonder about that. Mm-hmm. Jury's still very much out there. But they just need to start stacking up wins the same way the team does. You need it from your front office. You need to have no front office bats a thousand, just like no NBA team is going to go win 100% of their games. But you just have to start winning more than you lose. And guess what? Because of all the losses they've racked up lately, they got to go on a nice little run just to get back to 500 here. Am I talking about the front office? Am I talking about Mm -hmm. the team? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, nobody's perfect unless you're the Boston Celtics at home who have won uh, 20 consecutive home games this season. They're 20 and <laughs> all at home. It must be so nice to be a fan of a team that like has success and things. Cause if I, if that was happening to the Leafs, I'd just be terrified of the game seven playoff loss at home. That oh, was inevitably yeah. going to come for the first one of the season. You couldn't even enjoy that. No, I, I there's no way I would not already be there. <laughs> That's sad. I know it sucks. No, I, and they I, could change. Hey, anytime they want, they yeah. could go ahead and change that for me. We'll get to them in just a second. <laughs> uh, the Toronto International Boat Show is returning to the Entercare Center at Exhibition Place from January 19th to the 28th, giving away tickets to the event and ballots for a chance to win their grand prize, a Princecraft fishing boat with a Mercury engine and trailer. We also have our own VIP prize, which includes dinner for two, a $100 shopping spree at the show, and an overnight stay at the Western Harbor Castle. Just listen for the code words on our show today until January 19th and text the code word to 59590. You will be entered for a chance to win. Today's code word is Weston. We have another code word tomorrow, so be sure to tune in. When we come back, the aforementioned Toronto Maple Leafs battling for their playoff lives continue their trip through Alberta tonight against the Flames. Interesting little comments coming out of head coach uh, who is very much on the hot seat, Sheldon Keefe, yesterday. We'll play uh, those for you and uh, we will react. Next, as the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sports at 590, the fan banana spray gunning. Calgary Flames tonight, who have won four consecutive. On a heater, if you will. That's funny. I mean, 15 consecutive one between the Oilers and Flames, and the Leafs get them in back-to-back games. Leafs uh, riding a season-high four-game losing streak headed into tonight's game. So yesterday, there was no practice. Right, mm-hmm. They were 
in the hotel in Calgary. And they were just having a sit down. They were having a powwow. They were going over some video and they were, they were hashing it out with yep. their head coach. Oh. Uh, and the, I guess the scratches did skate yesterday. Yes. And Sheldon Keefe was, was on the ice with, with Nick Robertson and Joe Wall was on the ice hey. as well. And they were having nice little conversations. Uh, Sheldon Keefe also did media yesterday, quite notably. Police uh, coach spoke to reporters. I'm shocked. Yeah, a fellow that's been under quite a bit of scrutiny recently with people coming out of the woodwork to call for his dismissal. Who would do that? A lot, a lot of people uh, having their say on, on Sheldon Keefe is the problem in, in these in the last couple of days. Anyways, uh, so Sheldon Keefe was asked, hey, what's going on here with the blown leads? Uh, all four of these these losses have been blown leads, three of the four um, by multiple goals and in the third period. What, what exactly is is going on here as far as your deployment and 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 who's on the ice and 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 their responsibilities and whether they're fulfilling them at the end of these games? Here's Sheldon Keefe yesterday to the assembled masses. Anyone that goes on the ice in those key moments, you know, we need to execute. And some of it is relying upon those who've been here. And then the other part of it, as I'm trying to work through as a coach, is to figure out with all the new players we have, whether it's forward or defense, who who are we going to rely on in those moments? Who's going to go out and get the job done? And, uh, you know, despite the fact we're through, you know, through the halfway point of the season here now, uh, 42 games in, uh, I still have a lot of questions, quite honestly, about who... Who is going to go out and, and we can say is for certain he's going to get the job done for us? To me, it's a little bit inconsistent throughout the group. Okay, game number 43 tonight. Sheldon Keefe still searching, still getting the magnifying glass out yep. and, and, and evaluating. Looking for clues. Uh-huh. Who's it going to be? Okay, Brent, wh- what does he mean? What's he talking about? He is, uh, he's, he's not quite going Bill Parcells because I don't think Sheldon Keefe should be uh, campaigning for any other jobs. But this sounds a little bit like if you want me to cook a meal, you should probably give me some groceries uh, to make an amends on the Bill Parcells quote. Uh, he mentioned new guys specifically. Let's go over the new guys. You tell me which one of them he trusts. Max Domi, who, mm. who has nice moments. Say what you will about the player, but he has had nice moments throughout just about every Leaf game once he's kind of found his footing here, and he still can't get on the ice for more than 11 minutes a night. Tyler Bertuzzi, does that sound like a guy he overwhelmingly trusts? Mm. Uh, Disagree, is what I would say to you there. Noah Gregor, I think he's got a little trust in Noah Gregor. I also think he tried him a little higher up in the lineup because he had some trust in him and said, okay, let's, Mm. let's put that trust back down just a little bit. If you go to the back end, I think it's fair to say he trusts Simone Benoit to a point. I think it's trust on a necessity, but he has some trust in in him. And that's really the only new body there. You know, Lagason has, has poked in around the, the back as well. And he's been somebody who has been, you know, cromulent to pick up our, our term. But that's what that sounds like to me is you tell me who I'm supposed to trust. If you look at our top six, even John Tavares, God love him. I'm the last guy to kill him. Not the player you want out there. You know, if you need somebody to win you a draw because there's six seconds left in a in a shift or a period, sure. But there's 45 seconds left. Is that the guy you're throwing over the boards in the D zone? I don't think so. Austin Matthews, good in that regard, but you can't play him 60 minutes a night. You could say the exact same thing about Mitch Marner and then William Nylander. We've done the thing to death a thousand times. And the only other two forwards I haven't mentioned are Matthew Nyes and Pontus Holmberg, guys who I think we all like, but we know what they are at this point of their careers, and maybe Nyes has a lot more, maybe Holmberg doesn't. That's what that sounds like to me is, what do you want me to do? Where where am I supposed to turn to lock this thing down? And I don't necessarily love that tact from 
my coach, I'd like him to, you know, have an answer, try to figure it out. The same way I can look at players and say, we're halfway through a season, figure out your role here. I can look at that guy and say, oh, we're halfway through the season, have figured out some roles here. But that's what that sounds like to me. This is the coaching version of exactly what Mitch Marner said the previous day. It's mm. like, it's not my fault. Like, what am I supposed to do? We're doing okay. Like, look at the pieces I've gotten. Look at look at what I've been handed. Look at that. I was able to make, you know, any anything that kind of resembles chicken salad out of the the chicken excrement here. Mm. I, I can you believe that we're even in a playoff spot considering some of the guys that, that I've been handed that are supposed to be key cogs that were new players on this hockey team. It's also a man. I I like you have thought that Sheldon Keefe has done a, a better than Cromulent job. I think mm-hmm. he's been. He's done a great job. Agreed. Since he's become head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, especially during the regular season. He's the only head coach in the last 20 years to have won a playoff round, so you can't argue with with that as much anymore either after winning uh, in six games against the Tampa Bay Lightning last season. This is the first time where I'm like, ooh, he sees the writing on the wall. He's trying to change the narrative, and and there's there's a there's a defense mechanism being being activated here that, hey, if I go out, it's not my fault. It's look at what I've been handed. What what is a a human man supposed to do, given the ingredients that I've been uh, asked to work with here? There's there's not enough here for me. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that's my read on it. Is that it looks that it looks that that's how it looks like he perceives the situation. And you know, I think there's certainly some element to that. But I don't know. David Camp has been a fine third. Third line shutdown center. Like, you know, sometimes we overstate it to where, oh, should this guy be a fringe selkie? No, he shouldn't. There's a reason we don't talk about him that way. But he shouldn't be a fourth line guy that has really no role other than just as a punt, as the captain of the punt line out Mm -hmm. there. You want a guy who you can kind of trust. David Kampf has had moments where he shows, you know, more confidence offensively than you would think a player like that has. He has a knack for getting the odd big goal here and there. And I'm not saying that, say, elevate David Kampf up the lineup, but I'm saying... There's no reason that can't be a third line center that you trust. And okay, Noah Gregor, maybe you feel like he's got overextended at times this year, but why why can't he be part of a checking line or a, or a shutdown line? A guy who has a ton of speed and is capable of getting in on a four check. And, you know, I know they have that with McMahon right now. And okay, you don't think that can trust or you can trust that group? Then let's try Kelly Yarncroft in there. Or I don't know, throw a Matthew Nyes on that line if you think that's what it needs. Pontus, like there are pieces in the bottom six. It's far from a perfect unit. We can sit here and poke at the flaws all day. That's what we've kind of done for the better part of the season. But I also think that, if you're Sheldon Keefe, you shouldn't be looking at it and saying, there's no way I can make a, a bottom six that works out of this because the pieces, mm. to a certain extent, are there. Again, like, should this team be better? Yes. Is this a worse team than it was last year? 1,000%. There's no Ryan O'Reilly's or Nolacharis poking around in the bottom of that lineup. But there's definitely pieces that you can put in better positions to succeed as well. I don't disagree. It's not a perfect team. And we've even seen it at times this season. They've been able to lock it down, right? Like, we, I mean, man... Sheldon Keefe rightly pointed out yesterday, it wasn't 100 years ago that they were, Mm -mm. and I know it was a different Kings team on the verge of, you know, an eight-game losing streak. No, they were still good when the least people. I was a pretty effective 60 minutes against what we thought was one of the the better teams uh, in the Western Conference, and certainly when they were here in Toronto, they looked the part. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've done it against the Nashville Predators. They've done it against the Dallas Stars. Like, we have seen it at times this season. Which, again, leads me to the belief that, like, that kind of messaging, and you, you can't tell me anybody that ever goes in front of a microphone that's mm-hmm. a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs 
isn't understanding that their words are going to be taken and construed and and going to be fodder for the coming well, days, especially when you don't play that I think there's day. There's one guy who who somehow doesn't uh, yeah. still aware of this. I, I think he got a pretty uh, stark reminder yeah. uh, after uh, <laughs> the game in Edmonton yeah, the other I think day. So too. Uh, but anyways, you can't tell me that this isn't there isn't some thought that goes into this and understanding there's a goal that Sheldon Keefe is trying to accomplish and is trying to change the narrative. It's trying to change the narrative. Yeah, and it's and it, and if he goes out on his sword here in the coming days, he's going to say, you know, what was I supposed to do? I did my best. Now, what if he takes the opposite tact and is like, it's on me? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd do, like to see that just do, for the record. Does does that change his job security? Does that change anything? Like, no. If you if you are talking about, hey, the the effectiveness of that tact, like, is it effective either way? Is it effective either way for him to? Sorry, I'm like, making like, just a little like, confused about okay, the question. Okay, so yes, if if he says, "Hey, it's my fault," uh, it's all on me. Yeah. Does that save his job? Oh, if he comes out and says, "I need to find a way to yeah, to bleed this stone dry," and obviously is not going to you know put it so bluntly, but yeah, I think I don't think that saves anything. Quite frankly, I think that this is a team that has a certain level of expectations. Rightfully so, given the high-end players on this team. Again, we can quibble about what the what the you know bottom half of the lineup means and what they should expect for themselves. But given the high-end players on this team, there's a level they expect from themselves. And I think that we've talked about it ad nauseum. There is room to make a trade in terms of cap space and LTIR and all that, but there really seems to be a lack of a desire to do that. So if you feel like this team needs a shot in the arm, the only way it's coming, and I want to be clear, I, I think that's mm-hmm. completely unfair, but I am warming to the idea that that might be the only way to go about it of making a coaching change. I don't think it changes at all. If he says, I need to be better, I need, maybe it buys him a day. Mm. Maybe it buys him the end this of the can't trip. This can help, though. Like, if you're Brad for Living, again, just think about the personalities, and you're like, and mm-hmm. you, you're Brad for Living, you're also watching the product on the for ice, sure. and you understand the limitations of some of those players that you brought in. Well, and, like, and You probably want to redo on a couple of them, especially the John Klingberg thing, even though that's been, like, a way, uh, erased from history. But, yeah, you see your head coach say, hey, these players are garbage, and well, I was handed garbage. Okay, so and, if I'm, and, and you're the guy that's responsible for, for acquiring Hiring those players and responsible for hiring or firing the the this head coach or, yeah. or the next head coach. Like, yeah, it it's, doesn't make the relationship better between he and Brad for living. Well, the, uh, yeah, I I definitely agree with that. And you know, I've I've had my comments on Tree, but if I'm going to take if I'm going to look at things from his perspective here, I'm saying, okay, you there are definitely two maybe three of these players we can highlight, but you show me the player who's playing on the Leafs in a position that makes no sense for them on a good team. Like Max Domi was the third line center on a team that went to the conference finals Mm -hmm. last year. Guess what? He's your third line center right now. Tyler Bertuzzi was the sexy deadline acquisition for the best team in hockey last year and did nothing but perform in a playoff series. You can't sit there and look at him. So what? He can't be a third line winger. He can't be a second line winger. I think he can. Matthew Nyes. It's like if I'm Brad Trilivy, I'm saying I heard all the crap when I was in Calgary going to the second coming is is here in Matthew Nyes. He can't be a part of this. Tavares, Matthews, Mm -hmm. Marner, Nylander, even a guy like Kelly Yarncroft. You're telling me there's not competitive teams that would say, yes, I'll take that on my third line. This guy skates hard, gives you an honest shift, never feels like it at any given time, but he will get you your 16 to 20 goals. That's David Camp. We just talked about it. There's a lot of teams that would say, yes, please. I don't like what I'm seeing from him right this very second, but that's a good fourth line, third line center. Noah Gregor, a guy Mm. with some... If I look at all those pieces, again, we can quibble about two, maybe three of those but if I'm looking at the pieces, I say, no, no, no. This is not chicken excrement. This is, uh, mm. you know, it's not, it's not like filet mignon either. <laughs> Maybe it's just chicken.
<laughs> Maybe it's just chicken. I would say. Or that like what, what tastes like chicken? Maybe it's like alligator. Yeah. Spam. <laughs> I've never had spam. Um, Me either. Okay. You did mention one of these guys, but like here's the, the real question going mm. forward. And this is a, a question headed towards the deadline, whether this is fixable. TJ Brody has become mm-hmm. one of the guys that's in the crosshairs now, and understandably so, considering his play, considering the age of the player. John Tavares riding a yep. uh, Maple Leafs long five-game pointless drought. Mm-hmm. What are those guys? What if they're cooked? Like, what if they're done? Like, you're talking about your second-line center and your second-best defenseman, the guy that's playing alongside Morgan Riley on the top pair and is the second-leading time on ice player mm-hmm. on this team who understandably like I I get it last year in the postseason he was taken out of that role in favor of uh Luke Shen but this is still a guy that you're you're having a tough time replacing like what if those two guys that play significant parts of this team are no good anymore if both of them are cooked then you are in the nightmare landscape that a lot of people have talked about of just kind of punting until the end of the Tavares contract and then rejigging from there I don't think that's what's happening. Brody's a free agent at the end of the season. The Brody part of it. Like you're watching the final days of TJ Brody. Yeah, I would agree with that. And the Tavares thing, I'm just going to go back to anybody who's saying he's cooked and tell you to go listen to the pod yesterday where Mike Kelly came on and gave us a lot of good information about how there are still plenty of good things and reason to think nerd. Yeah. Okay. For once the nerds are right. First time in my life I've heard it. Because they agree. They they tell you something. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say agree with me. I don't have a hard and fast opinion on this. What do the nerds say? I like, it i agree i i look Tavares takes a step slow he's a step slower every day i also think that this is a player who is going to have a really long kind of run that looks like slow decline and that's what we're seeing but i don't think this is a guy who's fallen off a cliff brody i think it's a fair conversation to have and that's very much a conversation that's why i've been pumping the tires of going to get this Labushkin out of Arizona. Like we've seen it work with Riley before. It's a cheaper player. It's I think two seven five. You can make it work, and because quite frankly, you need. I don't think Brody is somebody that can't play. Like if Mark, if Mark Giordano can play it at thirty nine years old, TJ Brody well, can play at thirty three. I mean, he couldn't really play in the postseason, and TJ Brody. I mean, so you're bumping him down to what like the Jake McCabe pairing, and that that didn't work last yeah, year. Either. No, no, no. I, the Brody. What I'm trying to say in this is that I think the Tavares stuff is a little overstated, but. Brody is a very, very fair and very real worry. And I wonder what Brad, it's, and again, it's just perception of all this, right? It's like, we know this was a player that Tree didn't necessarily want in Calgary, did not re-up him there. And he's sitting here going, this is the see? anchor. The an- and then, then, of course, you know, the Mies of the world would say, no, 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 John Klingberg and Ryan Reeves are the anchor, not mm. TJ Brody. And you go, meh, but that Brody is still here. How about like lots of anchors? Anyways. Uh, Big boat. <laughs> We'll get back into this uh, later on in the program. When we come back, though, uh, Raptors finally trade Pascal Siakam. Man, I wish we knew what was on the table last trade deadline. Wouldn't sports be better if we knew every trade offer uh, that has ever been issued between teams? We'll discuss that and more next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.